Hello and welcome to this evening's live stream. I'm glad you've joined us. I'm going to be re-preaching my message from this morning service. We were looking at Ephesians 1 verses 1 through 14. We're beginning a new series through that amazing epistle and it will be running through until Easter. But unfortunately this morning we had some technical difficulties and um, it wasn't able to upload the video so I'm going to redo the sermon from this morning so if you weren't with us then hopefully this will bless you if you were with us then here it is again for you I'm going to begin uh, by opening up in prayer is this the first Sunday after Epiphany Epiphany was yesterday and uh, I'm going to begin just by praying the, the collect for the first Sunday after Epiphany And then I'm going to read the passage of scripture, which is in Ephesians 1. If you've got your Bibles, open them up there to Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 14. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Let's pray. O Lord, we beseech thee mercifully to receive the prayers of thy people which call upon thee, and grant that they may both perceive and know what things they ought to do and also may have grace and power faithfully to fulfill the same through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So if you want to open up your Bibles with me I'm going to read and then we'll begin working through this passage together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word this evening my prayer is that in our ears it would be fresh 
it would be as though we'd never heard it before. Father, I pray that as we hear your word, that we would have a, a child likeness about us. Lord, even though we have heard this passage maybe many times before, we're familiar with it. We don't want to become connoisseurs of your word. We don't want to be those who believe they are experts, but rather like eager children, ready to hear the word of their father. Lord, we pray for a spiritual hunger, a spiritual appetite to be worked up in us today. Lord, that we might desire to hear the word of truth and that through your spirit, you might bring about a harvest in our lives as we hear it this evening. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that the book of Romans was the most important book in all of the New Testament. Why did he say that? Well, he believed that Romans was so important because it contains the purest exposition of the gospel, the purest retelling of that great story, the gospel. Now, if Romans has the purest exposition of the gospel then Ephesians surely has the highest and most exalted retelling of the story of the gospel uh, as we work through this book together in the coming weeks we are going to be taking some high mountain passes together we're going to be going up on the ramparts looking down upon the plan of salvation from God's perspective not from our perspective not from what we know and understand of our salvation but actually looking at it through the eyes of God as the apostle retells the story the apostle Paul is is keen here to encourage these Christians in Ephesus to look not on their perspective but actually to hear God's perspective on the work of salvation so Ephesians contains some of the highest and most exalted teaching the most inexplicably awesome doctrine in the whole of the bible it's not an easy read it's it's not something that you can read through once and understand it is a book of great depth and it must be plumbed carefully and with prayer i think it's interesting to remember that paul the apostle wrote this letter to christians just ordinary Christians in Ephesus and the surrounding area at the time he was actually in prison he was in jail he wrote this letter to encourage ordinary Christians just like you and me he didn't write this to theologians he wasn't writing this to people of the clergy he was writing this to your average Christian believer and I think that's really important to remember because as we look at these first 14 verses and we see some of the weighty things that he covers, these high doctrines, talking about things that bend the mind, to be honest, things that really do stretch our imagination, things that pertain to the mind of God and how he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, how he's predestined us to adoption. These are big, big subjects. But Paul tells these things to normal Christians to born-again believers and I think that's really important to remember because the subject of doctrine the subject of theology 
these days is often sadly much maligned amongst Christians people will say I don't not interested in dry doctrine I'm not interested in your theology what we need is a fresh encounter what we need is a fresh outpouring we don't need just more doctrine we don't need more teaching more theology that stuff has got no life in it and what a sad thing to believe you know the apostle Paul he didn't begin the letter to the Ephesians by saying hey guys you know just really praying for you that you'd press in for that next encounter he doesn't begin the letter by talking that way he begins by telling them about their God he begins with doctrine and I think this is so vital for our Christian health in this day and age we need more doctrine not less we need doctrine preached we need doctrine understood we need doctrine rooted deep down in our hearts if we want to be brothers and sisters in Christ who are on fire for Jesus in this day and age we need more doctrine not less this is fuel for your fire I think this is something we so often forget I think it was John Wesley said you know set a man on fire and thousands will come from far and wide to watch him burn and we resonate with that image we like the sound of being on fire for Christ but if we ignore doctrine if we ignore God's word we're actually ignoring the fuel that actually gives birth to the flames it's the fuel of god's word it's the fuel of doctrine that gives a rise to a life ablaze for christ you know at our own peril do we ignore these high doctrines and so let's study them with an inquisitive mind as we work through these verses this evening i'm sure that there'll be many questions that pop up in your mind many objections even as you hear some of these truths presented by the apostle paul but i want to just put to you a word of caution as we work through these doctrines together these mighty things about the nature of god and how he has worked to accomplish salvation for his people as we work through these things jot your questions down on a side note take note of them put them to one side because this evening we are simply going to marvel and glory in the truth of these precious doctrines paul doesn't step aside actually to answer the potential objections of those who he's writing to i don't know if you noticed that but he doesn't come out of his text to say and and by the way you know just because he chose you before the foundation of the world you might be thinking well where's free will in that well let me just speak to that right now he doesn't do that he doesn't do that he wants people to accept these truths and glory in them it's for our worship it's fuel for our doxology this is fuel for our devotional life and so these questions are valid that will be popping up and there are other places in scripture where the apostle paul does actually speak to some of those queries but for this moment what we're going to do is just simply read and just marvel at the glory of what god has done on our behalf that i believe is what the apostle paul would have us do as we read this together Now, the commentator Marcus Barth said that the epistle to the Ephesians contains more references to the will and the decision of God than any other New Testament book except the Gospel of John. And so 
what we're looking at again is we are going up the mountain pass. We're coming up from the valley of our own experiences as Christians. If you are a Christian today, we're coming up from that valley of experience. We're reaching up to the high mountain passes. We're beginning to see things from God's eternal perspective. And this really, these first 14 verses of the book of Ephesians, this is the story of what God has done. It's the story of what God has accomplished and how he has accomplished it. And that is in and through Christ. It's the story of what God has accomplished in his son on our behalf. In fact, that phrase in Christ Those two words appear no less than 10 times. 10 times the phrase in Christ appears in the first 14 verses of the epistle to the Ephesians. And what we're going to do in the next 20, 30 minutes or so is we're going to look at each of those 10 moments where Paul says in Christ. And I believe that as we study what Paul says about what we receive in Christ, we're going to understand something of the glory and the scope of our salvation. You see, I think many today boil down salvation to simply being forgiveness of sins. And though this is certainly covered in the first 14 verses of Ephesians, it's not the sum total of what it means to be part of the covenant family of God. Forgiveness of sins is a very integral part of it but there's so so much more you know the gospel is glorious it's far-reaching its scope is is vast and so i believe paul wants to take us on a journey understanding exactly what god has done and how and through whom Uh, so let's buckle up and look at the first mention which is found in verse one he says paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god by the will of god right here we've got Paul saying my apostleship my calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ is by the will of God it's not something I've just taken to myself I'm not just deciding now to call myself an apostle because I believe I've arrived somehow I've got some status that I believe befits a certain title no 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 he's by the will of God that Paul is an apostle there were many false apostles moving around as itinerant preachers in Paul's day I don't think maybe we think about that often enough but Paul is distinguishing himself he's setting himself apart from these first century false apostles by saying I'm an apostle according to the will of God it was God that set me apart Paul didn't choose the title for himself it wasn't something he was aiming at in life one day he was persecuting the church and rounding them up and imprisoning them the next day he was an apostle of Jesus Christ witnessing the gospel to those who is you know he was working for just two days before Paul is an apostle according to the will of God and he says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are the faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to the saints who are in Ephesus the holy ones that the word therefore saints actually comes from the same word that we get holy from hagios hagios to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful pistois in Christ Jesus that's the Greek word for faithful I like what John Calvin has to say about this. He says this, No man therefore is a believer who is not also a saint. And on the other hand, no man is a saint who is not also a believer. 
So if you're tuning in this evening and you are a believer in Christ, you, by distinction, are also a saint. You're a saint. That's what you are. I don't know if ever you think of yourself in that way, but the New Testament calls you a saint, a set apart one. That's what that means. You've been set apart by God for a particular purpose. It means that you have been taken out of the world and you've been brought to God and made one of his covenant people. You're a saint, you're a holy one and your life after you are in Christ is to be a life lived unto him in in holiness. And so think of it like this, (laughs) something that is set apart, something that is consecrated for a purpose is something that shouldn't be used for any old purpose, is it? When we think about, for example, a toothbrush, everybody has a toothbrush at home. That toothbrush, in a sense, is holy. It's set apart for a very particular purpose, which is to brush and to clean your teeth. Now, if you take that toothbrush and you do anything else with it at all, how many of you understand that's an abomination? <laughs> Somebody who uses their toothbrush to also, you know, clean their windowsill and then pop it back in the mouth. That's gr- that's disgusting. That's wrong. And the same is true. We think of it like a Christian. A Christian is somebody who God has taken out of the world, um, who has ransomed from sin and death and has actually reconciled to himself, set apart for the purpose of knowing God. And so then for that person who's been taken and set apart for a particular person, sorry, for a particular purpose, for that individual, for you as a Christian, to then live your life in a way that undermines that purpose, you see how wrong it is. It's like using a toothbrush to clean your bathroom floor and then using it again. Do you know what I mean? It's gross. It's weird. It's abominable. A Christian was set apart for the purpose of glorifying God. And for a Christian to live their life to any other purpose other than that is an abomination. It's not what we were created for. We're set apart to live in holiness and faithfulness to Christ. So we are the saints and faithful in Christ. In Christ. As Christians, often I think this is something we perhaps don't focus on enough. Our location in the spirit after we're born again is actually in the sun. It's in the sun. We are actually united with Christ in his resurrection, in his death, in all the things that Christ is. We are located and identified in Christ. It's our vital union that we have with him. All, therefore, that Christ has are all the things that we have. All that Christ has is ours because he has taken possession of all that we had previously. He took upon himself our sin and therefore when he took our sin upon himself on the cross, we took his righteousness. You see that transaction that's taking place. We are in Christ and therefore all that he has is now our property also. We think of it in another way the love that the father has towards christ his only begotten son is the very same love that we have 
from the Father by virtue of the fact that we are in Christ. Or when we think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was poured out upon upon Christ Jesus is now poured out upon his church by virtue of the fact that we are in him. It's not a different spirit that we have. It's not a secondary spirit. It isn't a secondary lesser love that we receive from the Father, but the very same love that the Father has for his Son, he also lavishes upon his children, upon his church. So our union with Christ is such an incredible doctrine that I think sometimes we need more time to dwell on that. So that's the first mention of in Christ. The second mention comes in verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So just as in the old covenants when God chose Abraham and called him out of the land of Ur, just as he was promised a blessing, he was promised an inheritance descendants as numerous as the stars and ultimately a promised land which was acquired in the time of the exodus these were the material blessings of the old covenant and you see god is not a god who changes god remains the same god is still a god who blesses and so just as there was a blessing that came with being part of the covenant family of God in the Old Testament. The same is true for all who enter into covenant with God through Jesus Christ. Today, there is a blessing that we receive. There is an inheritance that comes with knowing God. But no longer is that inheritance a piece of material land. It's not any longer a material temporal blessing that can pass away but now we have all the spiritual blessings eternal i often think that we think oh spiritual well, it's not it's not really real you know we can't see it absolutely not spiritual things are more enduring and more real than the natural realm that we see all around us you know the natural realm is essentially it's just a visible side of what is there in the spiritual and the the blessings that we receive from god in christ are spiritual blessings they are eternal blessings they're never going to pass away they're never going to be taken back and paul begins to list these spiritual blessings for us i remember i used to read that verse and think that's awesome wow all these spiritual blessings i wonder what they are you know it's like it's like hearing that you've got tons of presents under the tree and you're thinking well what what might they be i don't know i'm not sure we'll have to wait and see but actually paul lists these spiritual blessings for us one after the other in the next few verses and the first one that he mentions is perhaps the most important this blessing is the source of all the other blessings that follow and it's mentioned in verse 4 it's another in christ statement even as he that is even as god chose us in him chose us in christ before the foundation of the world that's the first blessing that's the first spiritual blessing that the church that christians born again christians are actually in possession of is that they were chosen they were 
elected by God when before the foundation of the world now this teaching about God's choosing of his people shouldn't really surprise us I think it's a teaching that often right you know it sort of seems to it seems to create controversy and debate but actually it shouldn't be that controversial because it's something that we see right the way through scripture right the way through the history of God's people we see this election this doctrine of election in action it wasn't Abraham that sought God it wasn't Abraham who called out on the name of the Lord and the Lord responded to Abraham it was God who initiated the relationship with Abraham the same was true of Moses it wasn't Moses who went to a burn went to a bush in the wilderness and said God will you appear to me God appeared to Moses and called him from the burning bush it was God through Jesus Christ who called Paul on the road to Damascus Paul wasn't out there seeking Jesus Paul was out there trying to round up and imprison the church but Jesus had other ideas it was Jesus that initiated that that calling of Paul and this is something that is right the way through scripture it, it wasn't Israel that sought out God it was God who chose Israel as a possession for himself in fact if you read Deuteronomy God makes clear to the Israelites that he didn't choose them because they were stronger than any other nation that they were more numerous than any other nation he chose them so that they might bear his name simple as that it was out of the good pleasure of his own will and Paul makes it clear that there that that there is no reason in ourselves that God chooses us that condition that the elect have is not found in them God did not choose us because of some quality found in us how do we know that because Paul says before the foundation of the world before the founder before anything was made anything at all God made that choice in eternity past and so it does not depend on anything that we did or will do or could do it depends purely upon God's own counsel this is something that he decided before anything existed at all I like this quote again here from from Calvin he says in choosing us the Lord does not consider what kind of people we are neither is he reconciled to us because of our worth the only ground of our reconciliation is his eternal good pleasure by which he predestines us now I've heard many people say things like right I don't believe the doctrine of election I'm not interested in all this Calvinistic nonsense I would simply say brothers sisters what does this have to do with the theologian John Calvin this is not his teaching this is not something that he or any other reformer invented this is biblical doctrine this is apostolic Christianity this is biblical Christianity that's my heart cry in this day and age that we would get back 
to these teachings. I don't want you to believe some newfangled teaching that, you know, cuts all the sharp edges off a biblical revelation and makes it palatable to the modern man. I'm not interested in that. That message cannot save you. That message cannot change you. You need the true undiluted word of God. And this doctrine of election is something that is so plainly taught by scripture. It pains me that we even have to argue about it today. Really, this is something that is so clear. Why would you want to go through mental gymnastics to avoid such a glorious truth as this? That it was God who initiated his relationship with you. It was his idea in the first place, not yours. Your faith is important. Oh yes, your faith is important. But your faith is not the root of your election. Your faith is the fruit of your election. You have faith because you were chosen. That's how it works. That's the order. God's selection came first. Your faith came as a result of the fact that he chose you. This doctrine of election is something that should encourage us as Christians, not make us feel angry or confused. I I do think that you know, all scripture is God-breathed, amen? And every doctrine, every teaching in here is something that is profitable for a believer. But not all doctrines are equal. Not all teachings are level. They're not all the same. Some doctrines are easier to understand than others. Some doctrines give us more pause for thought than others do. You know, think of it like this. It, it, I love filet steak. If I go to Miller and Carter or somebody like somewhere like that, inevitably I'm going to ask for a fillet steak okay I'm going to ask it medium rare I love steak but when I was four if my mum had served me up a fillet steak I don't think I would have appreciated it quite as much as I do now the point being was the food still delicious even to the four-year-old Graham well a fillet steak still delicious food but could that four-year-old version of me palate it no I couldn't palate it. It, it it was too much for me And I think that there is some caution that is needed when approaching these doctrines. Sometimes the more mature we grow in Christ, the easier it becomes to uh, palate these more difficult doctrines. They're actually apprehended not just with the mind, but through prayer and through submission to God's word. Questions are good. I always encourage people to ask questions of scripture and to ask questions of their pastors uh, to do their research. This is good. But ultimately, what we need to be doing is, is submitting to what God's word teaches. That's where the blessing comes in. And so I just think this is such a, an encouraging doctrine, something that's so plain in scripture. Uh, why would we want to uh, wriggle our way out of this and say that, you know, actually, God's election of me depended on my faith. He simply looked down the corridors of time and he, he saw that I would believe. Um, and, you know, that's why he elected me. Well, is that not just like saying that he chose you because of some good quality in you? Is that not just what we're saying when we say that? That God looked down the corridors of time, he saw some good work in me. I made a right choice i made a good decision and on the basis of that good decision on that good work god chose me if that is the case are we not saved by works 
Are we not saved because of some virtuous thing that we've done? We know that's not the case. That's not the gospel we preach. It's not what we'd say to an unbeliever. In Romans 9, 11 to 15, talking about Jacob and, and Esau, Paul says, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, that is their mother, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Paul goes on to say, in verse 5 sorry I'll finish off verse 4 before we go there I love that Paul includes here the purpose of our election the purpose of God's choosing of us he says he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him if you're in Christ today if you're a Christian God chose you that you might be holy, might be purified and might walk blamelessly before him. And we'll come later on to see exactly how it is that he's going to do that and accomplish that. I think that's such a mighty and magnificent teaching. It encourages me deeply. He says that we are to walk holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We were predestined to adoptions as, adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Another English word for predestined was foreordained. So God not only has chosen us unto salvation, he has predestined each one of his people for adoption adoption into his family so to be a christian to be somebody who is called a christian is not just simply to be somebody who goes to church although that is a good thing nor is it somebody who just believes a certain set of truths about god that's not all it means to be a christian a christian is somebody who's actually been adopted their status has changed they're no longer a child of wrath they're no longer a son or a daughter of the world but they have been adopted into the family of god they are now a son whether you're a male or a female the scripture says that you are a son you are an heir of all the covenant promises of god the same things that were promised his people in the old testament are now your inheritance in the new you are a child of god many of you listening will have had difficult relationships maybe with your earthly parents with your father with your mother well the gospel is great news for you it says that your father in heaven loves you so much that he has taken you to himself not as a servant not as a not just as somebody who's coming in to do some work for him to accomplish a calling but as his own child as his son to receive all that he wants to give you isn't that a glorious truth verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We are blessed with grace in the beloved. We are blessed with grace. Now grace is something again that I just think is absolutely central to the message of the gospel. Once the gospel becomes something other than a message of grace, it's lost its gospelness. <laughs> when we think about grace, really what we're talking about is receiving something that you didn't deserve. It's receiving something that was never coming to you in the first place, something good. The law, for example, is getting what you deserve. If we think of a criminal condemned and in the dock for murder, if that criminal is condemned and receives a life sentence, then that's justice. Justice has been served. The law has done its job. And that is ultimately what happens in the Old Testament. The Old Testament in God's law, justice is done. Justice is proclaimed upon all sinners. God's righteousness is proclaimed and we see how far we fall short as Romans 3 says there's no one good not one we've all fallen short of the glory of God and therefore incur a punishment you see God is a just God and all of us not one no matter how moralistic we may be not one of us has lived a day in our lives when we've lived a fully holy and righteous life none of us we all stand guilty in the dock before God and we need grace we need God to do something on our behalf we have no power in of ourselves to save ourselves now grace is different to mercy mercy would be if the judge decided not to punish not to punish that criminal in the dock not to hand them the life sentence that they deserve to withhold that from them that would mean that the criminal in the dock did not receive what they did deserve. That would be mercy and how glorious mercy is. But grace goes one step further. Grace is when the judge himself comes down out of his chair, goes down into the dock and proclaims judgment over himself, takes upon himself the actual crimes of this convict and judges himself guilty and lets that one who committed those crimes go free that's what we're talking about when we think of the gospel that's the gospel of grace it's that god himself came down into our position and took upon himself our guilt our shame our sins and took upon himself in jesus christ the punishment owed for those sins so in the gospel justice is served the law is satisfied in christ and then we go free how does that happen in verse 7 we are told in him in christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins the forgiveness of our trespasses we are redeemed that's how salvation happens we're redeemed and the word redeemed in the in the new testament has another meaning which is we are ransomed we are ransomed before we were held captive to our sins we were held captive in the sway of sin but through the blood of jesus we have been redeemed we have been ransomed from those things and we have been forgiven of all of our sins another translation of that word for forgiveness there can be released i love that 
You know, whenever in your life, I don't know if you've had the experience, you've had something hanging over your head. You know, maybe a letter has arrived and you've been billed for something and, and there's a date coming up by when you have to pay this particular bill and you're dreading it. You think, I don't have the money. I don't know where I'm going to get this money from. And then literally the day before you're supposed to pay this bill, another letter comes. The debt has been paid. You are freed from obligation. That's that feeling of release. And that's the feeling that every born-again Christian knows that they have been released. They have been forgiven of their sins and God no longer requires them at their head, but they have been dealt with once and for all at the cross. And on that day when he returns, God is not going God is not going to judge again the sins that you have committed because he's already done that in Christ 2,000 years ago. It was dealt with once and for all. That's the sense of release that the gospel gives. Nothing else can clear guilt. I know so many people who live their lives with a crippling sense of guilt and they do all that they can to try and suppress that feeling. There's an inward guilt that they feel and they try to get rid of it by pleasure by busyness by whatever it is but you can't scrub away that feeling of guilt yourself there's no way to do it you need release you need freedom and only christ jesus can deal with that gnawing sense of guilt only he can redeem and it takes blood to do it it takes the blood of the savior to do it i'm sorry to have to say many people would like to scrub out the cross out of christianity and replace it with something else you know, but this is the truth that we preach. There's no forgiveness of sin outside of the blood of Jesus. This is what the gospel preaches. This is what has been the truth uh, ever since there has been mankind on this planet. There's no forgiveness of sin outside of shed blood. And the blood of Jesus is powerful to cleanse of all sin. The apostle moves on to say that in Christ, in verse 9, the mystery of God's purposes are made known. They're made known in Christ. You know, many people will ask, well, I don't know what the purpose of God is. I don't know what the will of God is. I'm trying to seek out his will. The book of Hebrews tells us that Christ is the express image of the Father. And what he came to do in the world is revealing the purpose of God, to redeem a people for himself, to forgive the sins of a people, and to draw them to himself, to make them his family. He's doing a work of redemption in this world. That is his purpose. It's made known in Christ. So if you want to see what the purpose of God is, if you want to see what the heart of God is, you don't need to go and study in some library and try your best to hear a fresh word from God, you can look at Jesus and you'll find the mystery of God's purpose and will in his life. Moreover, Paul says that in Christ, in verse 10, all things are united in heaven and on earth. As a plan for the fullness of time, God has to unite all things in him. We live in a world of division. We live in a world where unity is scarce. And even in the church, I'm sad to say, we see many divisions coming in. But it is God's plan that one day all things, all of us from our various backgrounds, our various heritages, are being made one in Christ. And one day, even the heavens and the earth will be reconciled together in Christ we're seeing a foretaste of this or we're supposed to be seeing a foretaste of this in the church 
In Galatians, of course, it says there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female in Christ. Now, it's not saying that those distinctions are, you know, not there. Of course they are. When we become Christians, we don't cease to be what we were before. But it's simply to say that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's not some privileged way to come to Jesus that's, you know, only available to the rich and the famous. There's there's no kind of like <laughs> premium booking line where you can skip the queue and, and get to the gate quicker than everyone else. No, it, everybody has to come to God the same way. He's the way, the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Christ. It makes a leveler of all of us, whatever background we have, you know. The Jews and the Gentiles, the slave, the free, are all leveled out in Christ. And so therefore these distinctions are not supposed to define us once we're in the body of Christ. It's not not that we cease to be those things. It's not that we cease to take some form of value in those things in one way, shape or form. That we ought to live a life um, that that brings in those experiences and, and those definitions of our humanity. It's not that they don't matter, it's that they don't define us we're brought to a place of oneness in christ and the sound of the church should be the sound of unity not the sound of division that's the sound of the world that's the noise that the world makes and it it is true to say that the devil in this day and age is very active amen the enemy's aim is to make division in the body of christ and it's sad to say that we are seeing some of that in our time and we pray for this verse to come about more and more in our lifetime that things would be united in christ on the earth as they are in heaven verse 11 we are told that in him in christ we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will if you are in christ you have obtained an inheritance you know, we don't think often enough, do we, about the simple fact of the gospel that we inherit eternal life. If you are a born again Christian, if you're in Christ, you will live forever. This is a crazy fact we don't dwell on enough. It's a wonderful truth. It's our inheritance in him. It's one of them. And it's one that should surely bring us hope for the future. Bring us a sense of peace and rejoicing, even in trials. You know, I know that one day my knees aren't going to creak. My back isn't going to hurt and I'll have a new body and I will live with him forever. I love, there's a sculpture, I don't know the name of it. You probably know of it. It's a sculpture of a boy in a wheelchair on the day when Christ returns and he's, he's just reaching up out of his chair. He's coming up out of his wheelchair. It's a picture of the fact that that boy that boy is not going to live in his wheelchair forever. If he's in Christ, he's going to come out of that wheelchair and receive a new body, a new body that functions and live forever in that renewed body with Christ. You know, this life is just a drop in the ocean of eternity. And the truth of our inheritance in Christ ought to encourage us to live as boldly as we possibly can for him through whatever trials come our way in this short life on earth we have absolute assurity as well that these inheritances will not be taken from us firstly because we're heirs if we've been adopted if we've been adopted into the family of god 
then that means that inheritance rightfully belongs to us. God has made it that way. He's not going to emancipate you. Uh, He's not going to get rid of you, cut you off. And secondly, we can have confidence that that inheritance shall be ours. We can have assurance of these promises because of what Paul tells us here, that we have been predestined by God according to the purpose, to his purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things, not just election, but actually all things. The grand scheme of humanity, the grand scheme of all time and eternity. This God who has adopted us, he has predestined all things according to the counsel of his will. What does this mean? It simply means that he has not determined things according to factors outside of himself. He's not determined things based on what that person will do or what that person will do or what happens if this happens or what about the enemy and what he'll do. No, he determined these things. He predetermined, foreordained these things within the counsel of his own sovereign will. And so there we could be confident that his purpose will not be thwarted. Verse 12, we're told something of our purpose in Christ so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. You and I were made to the praise of the glory of God. To to be to the praise of the glory of God simply means that you're making the glory of God public. You're a walking billboard for God's glory. That's what he made you to be. He made you to be somebody that advertises his goodness, advertises his grace, advertises his love, in the way that you walk, in the way that you live. It tells us finally that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. A seal in olden times was a sign of authenticity. If a letter was sealed, it was authentic. It showed that that letter had been written and sent by the person whose name was inscribed on the bottom. It's a sign of authenticity. Secondly, it's a sign of ownership. When somebody, you know, pushed their signet ring onto the wax of a letter, it was to say, this is my property. This is my word. This is my seal. It's a sign of ownership. And thirdly, that seal makes secure. It kept that scroll, that letter, tightly closed until it was opened up by the recipient. And so the seal of the Spirit is a sign of authenticity. It shows that you are truly in Christ. Secondly, it's a sign of ownership. So it shows that you belong to God. If you have the Holy Spirit, it is a sign upon your life that you are the property of God. And thirdly, it is a sign of security. God doesn't put his seal upon anybody who he intends to be lost for eternity. God's seal is placed upon you that you would be secure for all time. God's seal of the Holy Spirit is upon you to secure you. You are his property. You are his child. I think that Charles Hodge was right when he said, you know, when we look for the signs of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life, when we're looking for the signs of somebody's election, these are often things that you know, we try to see, well, how do we know if we're elect? How do we know if we have the Holy Spirit? The, the only way you can tell is that holiness will be present in somebody's life after a period of time. There'll be a trajectory away from sin and towards holiness. The things that we once did, 
will become detestable to us and the things that we see in Christ will become altogether valuable. We begin to emulate more and more our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's, it's that that longing for holiness, that walking in self-control, that walking being consecrated to him each day and wanting to please him and letting go of the way that we used to live. Charles Hodge said, God gave a people to his son in the covenant of redemption, those included in that covenant and because they're included in it, in other words, because they are in Christ as their head and representative receive in time the gift of the Holy Spirit and all other benefits of redemption. And Paul finishes by saying, all these things are to the praise of his glory. They're to the praise of the glory of God. Ultimately, you have been made a Christian. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been saved out of sin, not just for your own benefit not just for your own enjoyment but ultimately for the glory of God that his glory might be known in the heavens and the earth there's a saying that the reformers used and those who came after them soli deo gloria it means to the glory of God alone and that means ultimately that our salvation is to the glory of God and our lives themselves, the way that we conduct ourselves, ought to be to show forth, to advertise, to make public the glory and the greatness of our God. Let's pray. Father God, as we have heard these wonderful great truths this evening, I pray that you would give us the heart again and the understanding of a child who is eager to learn more about their Father in heaven. Lord, we pray that these truths would encourage us to have more faith in you, to trust you more, knowing that you are a sovereign God, a sovereign God who does what he pleases. As we read in the Psalms, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Lord, let us remember that we don't serve a genie. We don't serve a God who is like man. But we serve the great God of the heavens, the only true God, the sovereign Lord, who has made himself our father, who loves us dearly and who will not let go of those who are his. Lord, we praise your name. We give you glory. May our lives show forth your praise. May our lives befit our calling. Lord God, if there are things that we are living in tonight, if there are sins that we are allowing to have a foothold in our lives, Lord, may we let them go. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may we leave those sins and walk on into holiness to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to find out more about Hope City Church, you can go to hopecitychurch.uk.com. There's lots of information on there, lots of weekly activities that you can get plugged into. Uh, we always meet 10.30am every Sunday at Wolverhampton Science Park. Um, it's off the Stafford Road. Please do come and join us if you're in the area. Until then, God bless. We're going to say the grace together as we finish. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with us all evermore.